that. Good morning. If you would, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, if you locate verse 11. That's where we'll get started this morning. We'll begin our um, reading of the passage that we'll be examining together this morning there in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. It's good to see everybody today. I hope you've had a good week so far, or a good week last week as we head into this week. Uh, do pray that the Lord's blessings be upon you and upon your family. Romans chapter 1, I'll read verses 11 and 12 aloud for us today. If you'd please follow along there in your copy of God's Word. I'm reading from the New King James Version. The Word of God says there in Romans 1 verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. This morning, I want to share with you a message after I prayed entitled, Some Spiritual Gift, Motivated to Minister in the Local Church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we gratefully come to you today, Father, as we remember who you are, and God, are, are grateful for your tender mercies that you show toward us through the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for everyone here today. I thank you for the opportunity for the church to be assembled, and Lord, to worship you uh, together on this day. Father, I pray that we have been a people worshiping you throughout the week, and I know that Lord, we sin, and we certainly need your forgiveness, and we confess that today. I confess my sin and our sin before you today, for Lord, we have certainly exchanged you for things that are, that are like in Jeremiah's day, broken cisterns, Lord, that hold no water. But God, today we come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Lord, with, the, um, with David of old, I say to you that you are our Father, Lord, and blessed are you, Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. We do that today, Lord. And pray now that as we open up your word, you'd use it in our lives we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So a, quick, a couple of quick announcements uh, as we get started here. There is a class for anyone interested in um, baptism that, we'll be, uh, that I'll be teaching uh, beginning today. And you can just meet in the room across from my office today if you're interested in that. And then also uh, next Sunday night, that's April the 30th, we will be having a, a church meeting, which is just kind of like a um, business meeting, but it's uh, going to cover the issues of ministry, 
um, money, membership, and missions, uh, where we'll just kind of give an overview of those things, give updates on those areas. We're going to start trying to do that on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, every fifth Sunday uh, throughout the year, we will try to have uh, a church meeting, membership meeting, business meeting, whatever you want to call it, to just try to keep the church informed about those various uh, areas of ministry here at New Life Baptist Church. So that'll be next uh, Sunday night. I invite everyone to be uh, faithful to that, an important meeting to update on the life of the church. Now, here in Romans chapter uh, 1, we come to a passage that really surprised me. And frankly, I have to admit, I think I forgot about this passage of Scripture. And then in my studies on, uh, on the spiritual gifts, I came across it again. And it's just one of those that's sort of hidden here as we continue to talk about spiritual gifts today. You saw that there in verse 11 that the Apostle Paul wanted to come to the church in Rome and he wanted to impart to them some spiritual gift. Hence, we have the title for this message today, Some Spiritual Gift, Ministry Motivated to Minister in the Local Church. And that's really what I want to do today is try to look at three motivators for ministry in the local church. Why was Paul so motivated to get to Rome? He had not been there before, yet the church was already established in Rome. It was a church that was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. We know that that church probably began because the seed of the gospel was planted among some from who were from Rome there at Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. On that very day, there were um, Jews from Rome who heard the gospel. And it would be likely that they carried that gospel back to Rome and then the seed of the gospel was planted there and it has brought forth fruit. So this church has been established and all this time the Apostle Paul has been looking forward to going there. Now it's interesting because Paul probably wrote the book of Romans from Corinth. This church that we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and um, seeing how Paul wrote to them about spiritual gifts, here he is probably writing to the church in Rome from Corinth saying to them that he wants to come there and he wants to impart to them some spiritual gift. This is something that he was looking forward to. So uh, as we get started here, I want to do a little review with you again and ask you really just one question. And the question is this, what is a spiritual gift? All right, what is a spiritual gift? And I hope by this time that you would be able to sort of um, pull back up in your mind, in your brain, some of those things that we've looked at from 1 Corinthians 12. There are some key verses in 1 Corinthians 12 that help us understand what spiritual gifts are. Now, I'll just ask it as a rhetorical question today. I won't, I won't, okay, I'm not going to put y'all on the spot this morning. Um, uh, I know that that might be too much here on a Sunday morning to actually ask you to define that. But what is a spiritual gift? Here's a, here's a definition that I'll give to you. Um, well, it's, it's like this. And think about it if somebody were to walk up to you on the street, going down the street, they came up to you and said, you must be a Christian. Could you please tell me what a spiritual gift is? I'm sure that all of you would just automatically say it's a manifestation of the Spirit in a life, in a, in a believer that benefits the church. 
It's a manifestation of the Spirit in a believer that benefits the church. That's exactly what a spiritual gift is. It is something that the Spirit of God gifts to a believer so that they can benefit the church with it. It's not like a talent. A natural talent that a person has may benefit the church, but it also may benefit that person outside of the church. So it's not just necessarily a God-given talent. The spiritual gift that a person has is something that is particularly given, distributed by the Spirit to the individual Christian to benefit the local church. A talent, uh, lost people and saved people both possess talents, but only saved people possess spiritual gifts. Because the Spirit of God must be be indwelling that person, all right? So that's a little definition here for a spiritual gift, a manifestation of the Spirit in a believer for the benefit of the church or that benefits the church. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to anybody? All right, now I hope you remember where we get that from, 1 Corinthians 12, particularly verse, verse 7. All right, so if you haven't got that written down yet, you can finish that up later on. Let's go here and look at these motivators, three motivators for ministry in this passage. And we're going to find this first motivator in verses 8 through 11, where here we really see the heart of Paul for the church in Rome. Now, what we're going to find here is something that is key It is essential, really, in all of the passages that we look at pertaining to spiritual gifts. I think we'll see it. Let's look at verse 8. Here's what he says to the church. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. And then in verse 11, for I long to see you. All right, you might have noticed a few phrases in there. First of all, in verse 8, Paul says, I thank my God for you all. Then you go down to verse 9. You see at the end of the verse that he says, Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. And then in verse 10, he's making requests for them. And he says, If by any means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to you. And then in verse 11, I long to see you. So we see these phrases scattered, verses 8 through 11, where you see the heart of Paul. He had a heart that truly loved this church in Rome, though he has never even been there himself, but he is longing to see them. And we know that he had um, another motive for wanting to be there and to see the church in Rome. He wanted to go to Spain, He wanted to go to Spain to preach the gospel, and his hope was that he would go there via Rome. You can turn over to Romans chapter 15. Look at that with me. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 22. 
I'll pick up at verse 22 there and you can follow along. Romans 15, verse 22. Here near the end of the letter, he says, For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Verse 25. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are... Their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. 28. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on to ask that they would pray for him. Okay, you see there that he wanted to come to them by way, or come go to Spain by way of Rome. Now, if you'll go back with me to Romans 1, we see his heart here, his um, desire to go there, his love that he has for them, and uh, that he has true traveling plans to get there. Now, would Paul go to Jerusalem? Does anybody know the book of Acts that well? Would Paul make it to Jerusalem? Yeah, he would, right? In, in chapter 21, we find him there. But did he go to Rome in the way that he intended, perhaps, to go to Rome? Now, what happened to him? In Jerusalem, he got arrested, didn't he? And then he ended up going to Rome by way of a, being a prisoner on a ship. And it was um, in doubt at times whether he would make it or not. But Jesus confirmed to him that... Paul, you will stand before Caesar. So he assured him that he would be going to Rome. Isn't that interesting? That Paul was praying that if, uh, now at last, I may find the way in the will of God to come to you. And it, there was a way, and it apparently it was the will of God, though it wasn't perhaps the way that Paul thought that it would happen. The first motivator, though, is this. It's motivated by love. It's obvious in this text that he loved them. Why did he love them? Look back at verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved them, no doubt, because he knew that in Christ they were the beloved of God. So he wanted to come to them and he wanted to um, impart to them this spiritual gift. And the reason for that at the end of verse 11 is that they may be established, that they may be strengthened, that they may be made firm through Paul coming and preaching the gospel to them, ministering to them some spiritual gift, whatever it might be that God would use him for there. He was desiring to go for that purpose. He was motivated by love. Let me ask you this. What motivates you to minister in the local church? 
Is it love? Because that is essential. Ephesians 4, we see that the church there was given gifts by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as those gifts were ministered, it would edify the body of Christ. It would build them up in love. And they were to be a people who speak the truth in love. And we also see in 1 Corinthians 12 that the chapter that follows on to that is 1 Corinthians 13. And what is it? It is the love chapter. And in Romans chapter 12 that we're going to get to later and look at it again. But we see at the end of that uh, talk that he gives there at the beginning of the chapter about spiritual gifts. He then goes to the next verse and says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil Cling to what is good. Over and over again, we see the love that is essential for the church to rightly minister the spiritual gifts that are given to it by the Holy Spirit and to rightly minister to one another. It is not negotiable. It is absolutely essential. And I hope that it will cause all of us to take a moment to step back and to think about our relationship with the church. Some of us, it seems, perhaps sometimes have the um, attitude of the, um, the little poem that says, To live above with saints we love would certainly be glory. To live below with saints we know, now that's another story. And you see, sometimes we can think about what it will be like in heaven, but we fail to remember what it should be here now among the saints, the beloved of the Lord. So there is a mutual, uh, there's a, uh, they are motivated by love, but we also see here that they are motivated by mutual faith. That Paul is motivated by mutual faith. And that's found in the next verse. In verse 12, he says, That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, by the mutual faith, both of you and me. This means an, an each other, a one anothering um, that he hopes will take place there when he comes to Rome. Uh, dictionary says it's a pronoun which marks reciprocation between two persons or groups. Now, if you do, if, if, I'm not going to say that some of you ladies may not use electrical saws sometimes in your life but i was going to say you guys but um if any of you ever use a saw that's called a reciprocating saw or it's also commonly known as a sawzall but a reciprocating saw is a saw that has a long blade or it could be a short blade but you you press the the trigger on that thing and the the blade goes out and then it comes back it reciprocates it goes back and forth back and forth. It's a reciprocating saw. And that's the idea behind this word mutual. It is a it is a effect an affection, it is a faith that works this way and that way because Paul has a faith 
that is going to bless them. They have a faith that is going to be a blessing to Paul. Now, believe it or not, I'm doing something that I may or I may regret tomorrow, and I'd ask you to keep me in your prayers, but I'm playing in a golf tournament tomorrow, of all things. I got an email a few weeks ago from Maranatha Baptist University, and uh, they are putting on a golf tournament called the Pastors Masters, all right? So uh, I, I read up on that, I thought, hey... That's pretty neat. But anyways, they're raising money for their ministry students to help them with their costs there at Maranatha Baptist University. I thought, well, that sounds like fun. Pay a hundred bucks fee to participate and go play a day of golf, get a lunch, hang out with some other pastors and have a great off day. Well, I'm giving them $100 to get to play in this golf tournament, but they are giving something to me. I am getting a day to go play golf and hang out with other guys and have a good lunch and maybe win a prize or two. And by the way, I'm in it to win it, okay? So I'm planning on winning the whole thing. If you've ever played golf with me, you know that's probably not going to happen. And I've played golf one time in the last 16 years, all right? So um, anyways, it's not probably not looking good, but I'm still in it to win it, all right? So there is a mutual relationship that's going on between me and Maranatha Baptist University. I gave them the money. They're giving me a day of golf. Paul, when he goes to Rome here, he's motivated to minister, to go to them and know that God's going to use him to minister some spiritual gift among them. Why? Because of the mutual faith that they have between the two of them. Now, let's go to our last point. Our last point is this. He's motivated by the power of the gospel. Here we'll look at verses 13 through 17. In verse 13, he says, Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you. Let's take a break here for just a second. Notice these phrases. In verse 11, Paul says that I may impart to you. In verse 12, he says that I may be encouraged together with you. In verse 13, that I might have some fruit among you also. Perhaps here, he's talking about fruit of salvation from preaching the gospel to those who are in Rome. That may be what he has in mind in particular. Verse 14, fruit among you, the end of the verse 13, just as among the other Gentiles. Verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So in other words, both ends of the spectrum, Greeks, barbarians, wise, unwise. Paul says, I am a debtor to go and preach the gospel to all men. Verse 15. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you 
who are in Rome also. So he's going there to preach the gospel. It doesn't say that he's just going to preach the gospel to the lost, but he's going to go there to you who are in Rome, to the church who is in Rome. He's going to go and preach the gospel. And I just want to say, listen, folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ should never grow old to the church of Jesus Christ because without the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no church. There is no gathering. There is no assembly. There is no life. There is no eternal life. There is no hope of salvation without the gospel. We have none of that. And much more. There is no justification. There is no propitiation. There is no sanctification. And there is no glorification. It only happens in us and for us because of what Jesus Christ did. And the gospel impacts every part of our lives. Every part of it. As Christians. You young people need to understand that. Some of you are, have been baptized, are interested in being baptized and becoming Christians. And you need to realize and know today that the gospel continues to impact your life throughout all of your life. It is not just a one and done thing. It is something that, that impacts you forever. You are continually being shaped, transformed by the gospel of Christ. So Paul here wants to come to them and preach to them the gospel. He says to you who are in Rome also. Now, going to verse 16. He says here, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, I want to ask you, what is the gospel? This is not a rhetorical question. Crowd participation would be appreciated. What is the gospel? Anybody? All right. It means the word gospel actually does mean good news. All right. What is that good news? Yeah, so we are sinners who deserve death and hell, but God has done something on our behalf. Okay, good. What else? Yeah, okay. That Jesus Christ took the punishment that we deserve. And then we were raised together with him through adoption, being adopted as sons and daughters of God. Okay? Good. Anybody else? That is the theme of Scripture throughout, is God's redemption of man. And you all know that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 clearly lays out for us what the gospel is. And in verses 3 through 5 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul there writes again and records for us in Scripture in this letter to the Corinthians. He says, For I delivered unto you that which I also received. What is it? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried. 
and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas and the twelve. So he was he died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, just like the Bible said that he would do. And he was seen alive from the dead. The gospel, that is the good news of salvation. And that's what no doubt Paul has in mind as he writes here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 when he says that this message, this good news, this gospel of Christ, it is the power of God to salvation. That's it. That's the way it was then, and that's the way it is now. There is no other gospel. And if any man preach any other gospel, let him be accursed, Paul would say in Galatians 1. You see, that gospel of Christ is the only good news and the only message of salvation. And he says there in Romans 1.16, For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. How many people who believe? Everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also the Greek. In verse 17. For in it, in it, in the gospel. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This is the verse that got Martin Luther, I believe. But it says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Another way to translate this is he who through faith is righteous shall live. The just shall live by faith. Brothers and sisters, all who are gathered here today, I just ask you the simple question, are you living by faith? Or is it faith plus? Is your hope of salvation faith plus something else? Or is it faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone? Because there is nothing else that will do other than that. We're talking here about a saving faith. Now I want to do this. I want to take and break this down into three elements for you. Three elements of saving faith. Three elements of saving faith. And I hope this is helpful to some. The first element of saving faith is this. It is knowledge. The first element of saving faith is knowledge. In other words, you have to know the truth. You have to know the message. The reason missions is important and the reason missions happens is because people do not know. Missionaries take the knowledge of the truth to places that it is not known. Oftentimes that's what missions does. Paul wanted to go to Spain where the knowledge of the truth was not yet known. He wanted to go there and preach the gospel. There must be a knowledge. Um, Boyce, James Boyce has said, Faith without content is no true faith at all. In other words, what are you having faith in? R.C. Sproul has said, I cannot have God in my heart if He is not in my head. Before I can believe in, I must believe that. And then one of Sproul's teachers, John Gerstner, said, Nothing can enter the sanctuary of the heart 
unless it first passes through the vestibule of the mind. So there is this important aspect of knowing the truth. God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This is essential. Number two, though, we see belief. Not only is it important that there is a knowledge of the truth and saving faith has as, the, as an element of it uh, knowledge, but there must also be a belief in it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to believe it. You can know the content of Christian faith and still be lost. You can have the knowledge of the truth and still be lost. But the question is, do you agree with the knowledge you have? John Wesley's great um, songwriter, preacher, but uh, he went about and preached the gospel for some time before it is believed that he was ever converted. But then... Once uh, he writes about his conversion and he says about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation and an assurance was given me that had taken that he had taken away my sins even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. There was for Wesley a belief, a true belief in that gospel of salvation through Christ. Now, the last point here of this is trust. There is knowledge, there is belief, but the last point is trust. This is, in essence, commitment. It's what we might be expressing when we enter into the waters of baptism. Through baptism, we are expressing that I am committing my life, my soul, my all to this one who has died for me. It is a yielding of oneself to Christ, which goes beyond knowledge. As one author has said here, however full or accurate that knowledge may be, and even beyond agreeing with or being personally moved by the gospel, he says this must be the case because even the devils believe in the first two limited senses. They know what the Bible teaches. They know that it is true, but they, they are not saved. James was acknowledging this when he described some person's inadequate faith by writing, You believe that there is one God you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. Our faith must be one that goes beyond that. And it must be like Thomas's faith, where after he saw the risen Christ, the marks in his hand and in his side, he said, My Lord and my God. He didn't say that you are the Lord and the God. You are my Lord and my God. 
There is none other. There is nowhere else to turn. It is you and you alone, Christ, that I must believe in because I have nothing apart from you. And that is what the demand of discipleship is, of following Christ is. You see, there are those in Romans chapter 8 who became disciples, but they did not continue in the Word. Romans 8, 20, John 8, 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins, is the demand that Jesus had. They accepted it for a while, but they did not continue in His Word. As a matter of fact, they wanted to stone Jesus by the end of the chapter. Is there a commitment that is there? Is there a trust in that message of the gospel that is there? The song hymn says, All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Do you? You see, that is the demand of the gospel. And that power of the gospel was a motivating factor for the Apostle Paul to go to Rome, to be with this church that he might impart to them some Spiritual gift. Are you motivated by these things? Love, mutual faith, and the power of the gospel to minister in the local church? Do you know the gospel? Have you committed your life to Christ? Today, I invite you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, you are the God of God of our salvation. As the gospel has gone out today, Lord, I pray, Father, bless it. Bless your word. And I pray that it will have a transforming effect on us. Lord, as we see the love, the mutual faith, and the power of the gospel in this passage and how Paul was motivated by it, I pray these same things will motivate us. Lord, I thank you for using your word and for accomplishing all that you intend for it as it goes out. Now, Lord, I pray that it will fall on good ground today in every heart here. And as we hear it, Lord, I pray that it will bring forth fruit among us, among our community and in the world for your glory and for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.